Hello everyone and welcome to Malaria, Poverty and Politics, a podcast where I invite various experts to discuss the issues of inequity in global health and in particular the inadequacy of malaria control strategies in Africa. My name is Silas Majambere and I am very grateful that you have chosen to join me on this podcast. This is part two of my conversation with anthropologist Anne Kelly. In this episode, we pick up from where we left in part one and discuss the issues of agenda setting for research in Africa and whether global health can be saved. We discuss the moral imperatives around malaria control. We even slide into the issues of reparations for the abuses that the African continent has suffered. We end this episode discussing human dignity and the reasons for remaining hopeful in this world despite all the challenges we face. Thank you for listening and welcome. I mean, one question you're right is how agendas around research get formed and how they get, you know, narrower and narrower and narrower and actually built around the technologies which are already out there. So it becomes a question of, you know, what are the interests involved in actually asking these questions? I mean, the other thing, and I mean, this, I think, brings us back to the the Land Rover question is, you know, not only kind of what research gets done, but how it was done. And, you know, one thing I remember being quite struck when I arrived at Gambia is, you know, being up country, as you said, very long trip, <laughs> very like difficult ferry, arriving um, at this upcountry station in Farafeni. And this compound, this amazing compound with generators running all the time, actually very nice, comfortable houses, um, you know, a, a very, you know, manicured kind of gardens, even <laughs> when you think there might be issues with mosquitoes there. And at night, you know, it was the only, you know, this is speaking as someone who would crazily run early in the morning before it got to like, that it was dark, it was dark everywhere else. And this was the one bit of light on the horizon. And, you know, it just always struck me as here is this station that had a permanent presence, but was really enclosed. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, kind of remembering back to your point about driving around landowners, if you, you know, had any thoughts also about how research, in addition to the kinds of, you know, questions and concerns is just how, you know, how it is organized as an activity in relationship to these questions. Yeah, <laughs> I said I will come back to the land road because that's, um, I'd say that there are a few pointers in my life that have sort of determined um, my path and um, the way I look at the world in general, but a smaller world, um, the malaria world in this case. Um, in in Farafeni, as you say, so I, I went there, started a new project. Um, we had, um, we needed cars, obviously, to, to run around um, and, I was told that um, we can only import uh, Land Rovers from the UK to come to the Gambia. Obviously, as you have seen, all the Land Rovers, all the cars at MRC were Land Rovers and from the UK. Um, So for those who don't know, MRC, the Medical Research Council of of the UK that has a station in in the Gambia. So here I am, new Land Rovers, and um, we're mapping out where we need to, to drive. 
So we drive deep in the um, in the rice fields because this is where we were, wanted to control mosquitoes. Um, and this is where you see the, the poverty to its level. So um, this is a place where you still see, so this is back in 2004 or five. Um, I hope things have changed, but this is a time where you, you drive and, and most of the houses you see away from the, that particular Farafeni station are all thatch roof houses. Um, and you, you have small villages where you have a, a number of uh, houses. And then in the middle, there is this thing they call a bantaba where uh, most men are sleeping during the day. And all the women are in the rice fields um, cultivating and plowing. So I, I, I drive in, in this brand new Land Rover and it gets to a point where it can't drive because there's no road. And then we have to wade through uh, the rice fields and I'm looking around, I'm looking at these women uh, who are still using hoes and, and uh, digging and, and plowing. Um, water is uh, waist high, um, some of them topless. Um, and I look at that Land Rover, I look at these women and I feel out of place completely. Um, mm. So you, this is maybe 30 years after the station had been funded. Um, and fast forward, I think 50 years later, after the foundation of this um, this particular station, it got shut down. But um, for, for me, where I come from, and, and you look at these women, you look at the, the kids and the men sleeping, and um, you're driving around with your Land Rover, uh, dusting them, it, it just doesn't make sense. It, it just didn't add up. It, it, something was not working so i went back um so i stayed i stayed in the, in the country for four years total but i left with this sentiment that we're doing something completely out of place mm -hmm. it's true that um, that mrc station has been there for let's say 20 years and all we've been doing is buying yet another new Land Rover, driving around, testing kids and, and finger pricking them, taking blood samples and going back. And people are still living in that type of houses. The people are still living in, a, in that type of um, uh, life. I, I felt that we, there's something we're not doing right. Um, mm. And this is not uh, unlinked with what I was saying about things being decided let's say in this case, MRC UK, uh, London, um, and you go and build a station to study diseases and you spend 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and still around you, there is not even a, a, a electricity or a road. I, I, don't, I don't see how that's, that's okay, ethically. I, I don't, and we had good salaries, obviously, we, we, we lived uh, in, a, in very nice houses, water was running throughout, electricity was running throughout, but you just step outside and there is garbage and there is dust and there is poverty um, to its core. Of course, someone would say, well, it's not up, up to MRC to develop the country, but I will still question, how do you find, uh, how do you sleep at night when, you, when you've been finger pricking these kids who probably won't have something to eat. And then you'll go the next day and then 10, day, 10 days later, a year later, 10 years later, 20 years later, it, it just doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. So that, that was a depressing, <laughs> a depressing moment in, in my life, but that opened my eyes to see that um, 
the help is really coming out, um, coming from outside. You you have to these Gambians, these Farafeni people, these rice field farmers, they have to build their self themselves. They have to be resilient, try to find solutions to their problems, try to control mosquitoes as much as they can, um, instead of relying on a particular station that is there. And, and eventually that closed um, <laughs> for other political reasons that I don't think we have time to go into. But um, I don't know what Gambians would say about what Farafeni Station has done for them. Um, mm. I, I don't know. I'll um, be interested to know. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, um, I mean, I, I wonder um, because you know, like you, I found it quite um, stark <laughs> and um, shocking. Just that, just that kind of discrepancy. But I wonder. I mean, are as you know, as I'm sure. Um, people are well aware there is this kind of push towards a kind of decolonizing agenda. Um, and a lot of talk about exactly the set of issues about who is setting the agenda. Um, you know, how can, can, can global health be saved in the sense of what's worth saving um, if we reimagine kind of who is leading, um, leading the issues. And I, you know, I just wonder if you feel in your long career that things you know, are moving in the right direction, or are you hopeful, or there, you know, that you've noticed any, um, yeah, kind of a shift in, like a, a tide, changing in the tide in terms of <laughs> who is who is asking the questions, whether there's more of that, um, at least from governments as well, a sense about who, you know, who is ultimately going to be, um, you know, responsible to making the kinds of step change that you see are so necessary. Yeah, well, just maybe I will start from the end of your question. I don't see a, a tide. There is no tide. Uh, <laughs> um, maybe there is. Um, social, social media has made us um, think that that things that we see on Twitter are real, but they are not. Um, so we there is a tide on on the on the web, but it's on the web, and webs tend to be very weak. So. Um, there is no, I mean, let's say, in all fairness, there's probably more people uh, in Africa who are aware of the issues that we have and who are aware that we should um, be at the forefront of trying to find solutions. That That's for sure. There's, there's a lot of young people, and this is a good thing about the technology that I was uh, blaming for other things. Um, there's a lot of knowledge circulating faster today. People know things quickly. Um, most people in that part, particular part of the world where I was talking about in the Gambia, they know that um, Europe looks differently. They know that um, you can live a, a better life. They know that you can find other control measures for your problems than what they see. So there's awareness, let's say. Um, but in terms of decolonizing global health it's a it's a hot topic and, and it's charged and um, uh, there's some risks in in uh, debating it a lot <laughs> for some people um so my thinking is that that discussion needs to be had um and needs to continue and uh, it's only sorry it's only beginning there's there's no there's no big actions that we can see. Um, uh, I've worked in a, on one project where um, 
the money that was supposed to go to that country that I was working on was on paper $250,000. That would go and control malaria in that particular country. I was working on that project. So this is facts from what I know. The only money that got in reality in the country that served at something that was for malaria control was 75,000 out Mm. of 150. So for me, (laughs) it's it's all good because even those 75,000 is not my money. So I can't complain because I got 75,000 for free. If if you can call that for free, because um, that's too is debatable. But I'd love the countries or those who are do, doing the aid to to be truthful and say we're going to give this country seventy five thousand dollars, not two hundred and fifty. So there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of politics involved in everything that is happening. Um, whoever is funding malaria is not just funding malaria. There's another other reasons that are behind that. Uh, there are jobs that need to be maintained. There are um, uh, geopolitical positions that need to be filled. Um, but it's it, it would be nice that we we honest and and we say just what we're doing um, and and not pretend that we're doing one thing and and do a different one. Yeah, and I mean just uh, that point on partners, right? I I wonder what you you know felt about who are the appropriate, you know, or get local partners, right? Because there's a question about, you know, the Americans use their money on Americans. This should be governments, right? This is a government issue. But there's a lot, you know, as far as I can tell, also from other kinds of fields of, um, you know, global health innovation about kind of investing in regional, you know, the Africa CDC, I mean, kind of more of a, more of a kind of cross-cutting um, transnational but African endeavors. And, you know, again, when you, you know, I mean, it is incredibly stark, <laughs> the kind of like how much money actually finds its way to the ground. But looking at the kind of partnerships or looking at the kind of key actors who would help kind of really re-embed and really kind of get value for proper money um, on the ground. I mean, do you have a sense of who you you know feel confident about as being the right driver? Yeah, uh, I, for the sake of my life, I'm, I'm, I'm going to skip mentioning names <laughs> and, and just say that... Um, Again, for, in my view, that's not the main issue. Uh, so the, the issue is not who uh, can do it in Africa. Is is having that, the issue is being convinced that someone can do it. And then you will find that someone. I mean, these countries are run, uh, are running. And, and malaria is not the biggest problem they are running with, uh, against. They are solving all sorts of social problems. They are paying uh, um, the, the workers, they, they're building roads, they are building industries, they are feeding people, they are doing agriculture. I mean, countries are running in Africa. It's not like a, a, a waste or a, or a place where nothing is working. So if they are dealing with billions of dollars in, in other sectors, why would, would it be difficult to deal with a $100 million on yeah. money? So it, it's, it's, a, it's a no question. For me, there's no issue of, of course, this is something that no one says aloud anymore these days, but everyone will say, oh, you know, Africa is corrupt and, and we don't have partners and all that. But I guess everyone has realized that 
corruption didn't start and didn't end in Africa. So I think um, I, I think people are less likely to say that they were saying that before. But under the under the table, we know that that discussion is there. Or oh, you can't put that amount of money in Africa. They they wouldn't be able to to manage that. I've, I've dealt with grant money before yeah. where. Um, these particular people would give us money, say, well, we're not sure you can handle $20 million. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> yeah, that's what you think, and it's your money, so I, I can't do anything about it. But it's it's a lot of condescending thinking that um, Africa need, still needs to be uh, trained about everything, and including you can trust them with money, uh, you won't find the right partners, there's a lot of corruption. And, and Yes. I mean, so, you know, I mean, this is just, I mean, this is a question, um, you know, I've been thinking through recently, um, and I, I want to put it to you, because I think, you know, one of the things, Cecilia, it's about your career, and you mentioned this in terms of some of the kind of turning points, um, is the place of the kind of moral imperative, like the moral mission um, that that motivates both you, but also becomes some, you know, gets tangled in justifications for why, you know, you know, what is owed in terms of aid or, you know, global health, why we, there's an imperative for the North to intervene in the South because of these problems, right? So there's a lot, there's a lot of kind of tangled ways of thinking about justifications. Um, and recently I was listening to an interview um, with a humanitarian, um, you know, actor who was making a strong case for the aid and humanitarian aid should be thought of as reparations that actually this is not aid. <laughs> this yeah. is what the global North owes. This is a bill and yeah. one that can be paid, you know, generously without interest. And that this money is not something that, you know, is about kind of moral consciousness or, you know, some kind of, you know, our charity, but is actually, um, yeah, it is something that we are in debt <laughs> for. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have to answer quickly to the question of reparations or whether that's useful or not, but just, you know, broadly where, you know, you find yourself, um, you know, that kind of moral driver about, you know, thinking about malaria and your career and how those questions have maybe evolved or picked up um, and, you know, where you see yourself going forward with that. Yeah. So uh, the question of uh, reparation is a thorny one. I've, I've been following a few debates uh, around this, some for some against um, reparations. Um, I, I think you know the debates that is going on with uh, black Americans in America and um, um, how do you call them? Uh, the Indian Americans and, and, and all that. And then there is the African continent with colonization and people talking about reparation and all that. So I, I don't know where I stand right now in terms of uh, reparation from the debates I'm hearing. There's there's always a, a pro and a, a con to the argument. The only thing that I could say, if if we equalized everything today, if if there was no tax havens, if if there was no um, imbalance in trade, if there was no um, imperialism of any kind, if there was no let's say if the world was fair, which it will never be, um, then you Africa wouldn't need, even need reparations. They, they would pick up quickly. If, if there's no dumping of useless stuff coming to Africa, 
if <laughs> there's there's so much that is going on that that holds that holds Africa back. Um, and, and I have to to in the same breath say that the the blame is not just outside; it's inside too. Um, I mean, if if um, if you allow, um, we have a good saying in Kirundi that I can't translate, but if you he sort of says if you if um the bird shits on you when you are walking it's not your mistake but if you allow it to build a house on your hair or on your <laughs> head then it's your mistake so uh, in other words africa is not out out without their own issues uh, to mm. this type of situation to keep going so repression or not, I don't know, but um, fairness is something I would aspire for. Um, and, and maybe we could get somewhere. And, and being truthful, at least, uh, in, in what the motivations are uh, for different countries that are operating in Africa. Yeah. Now, um, in terms of um, where we're going, and, and so I, I, I don't know if I, I said this or, or we discussed this before the, this interview, um, there is a moral, a moral demand on myself uh, that I put on myself. Not, not that anyone else is asking me to do this, but um, looking at where I came from, the type of opportunities that I've had in life um, that led me where I am, um, they, they push me to, to accept that there is something more that I have to do all the time. Um, right now, I'm working in the, in the malaria um, uh, field, but anywhere else that I would be, even outside work, um, I have a responsibility, a felt responsibility to want to give back, to, to, um, to try and pull up uh, anyone who, whom I can, um, if I have the capacity to do so, because, because I know one changed life impacts a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. So we have a lot of things that we can do um, as Africans. There are, um, I try to do my best in, in encouraging, particularly the young generation to, to think outside the box, to work hard, to aspire for a fair world and work towards that, everyone where they are. Um, so you don't have to wait until you become a, a, a minister or a president or a CEO some particular thing you you start where you are in your village in your in your family first uh, if you have one um, and then you try to do your best you you try to work hard you try to be fair uh, you love your neighbor as you love yourself and um, if, you, if you if you have faith you you hope that you are doing the right thing and and things will work out well mm. um, and, and it works in in every sense that if I look at myself, I've, I've paid a, uh, I haven't paid a penny to 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 study. Um, uh, of course, my parents have paid until I got to the university. But from the postgrad to finishing my PhD, I've always stumbled on an opportunity, um, and then managed to do my masters. Another opportunity, I managed to do my PhD. Another opportunity, I get a job and. It's not that I was the smartest person in the room. It's not that I was the hardest working. It's it's opportunities finding their way to me. And that's what I aspire to do. Uh, do the same to others, open doors when I can, uh, pull up uh, those who are struggling. And then even part of this 
podcast. It's it's just to share ideas, to to um, uh, encourage people that we can do better, uh, point to injustices when I see them. Hopefully, a light shines and, and corrective justice can come. So I'm I'm trying my best and uh, hoping for the best. You're too, doing you're doing some considerable work there, heavy lifting. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to come back, maybe I mean, finally, just you know, back to malaria, right? Um, and just you know, I wondered kind of what what kind of problem do you think this is? I mean, do you think this is a problem of development, of poverty, um, a problem of neglect? I mean, it's all of those things, I'm sure. But again, being so intimate um, from the time you, know, you were first infected with this disease, yeah. so all the work you've done now, is there a way that we can frame or understand this problem better? Um, you know, is it being a global pandemic the right, you know, understanding of it? Um, or, you know, have we, is there a better way to think about what kind of issue this is? Yeah, so... Because things like uh, COVID and, and uh, Ebola and other other scary diseases have have taken that aura uh, of a pandemic, and then everyone gets excited about it. the The issue of malaria, I think, it's best placed in a in a context of of other other issues going on. There are very few diseases that kill half a million people a year. Mm. Uh, and in, in just one continent. Um, yeah. So viewed that way, anyone who has a, a, a moral um, compass uh, should see this as an issue, whatever name you call it. If you call it a global pandemic or it won't be a global pandemic because it's localized in Africa and all that. But um, just the fact that 500 million people die, and these are people, it's souls, it's... it's um, it's not just numbers, it's people who could develop their uh, house and, and their families. It's people who could become the Einstein, it's people who could be anything. So we lose, everyone is losing. The, the humanity is connected in a way. And um, if you lose 500 kids, uh, 500,000 kids a year, uh, the world should be ashamed of that because this is a curable and preventable disease. It's not your COVID that goes in the air and then you don't know what to do, um, but it's it's a curable, it's a preventable disease. So in my view, it's not given the, um, uh, the place that it should be given. Uh, you hear very few people talk about it. Um, yes, there is a $3 billion that is poured on it every year, but is that, how do you compare that with COVID, for example, and how much money was into COVID in a year? Um, on the other hand, we we don't have to we don't have to do everything at the same time for this disease to disappear. Uh, it's a it's a very difficult disease to control. That's that's given. It's related to poverty. It's a disease of poverty. There's there's no doubt about that. Now, if we if we view malaria as it should be viewed, then our approach should really be different. Um, we just have to, to stop thinking that um, giving out, handing out commodities will solve a problem like that. It can't. Uh, I mean, we've been using bed nets for 30 years. 
we've been using drugs forever. It's not getting the disease out of the continent. Uh, so we, we have to think differently. We have to think development. We have to think um, housing. We have to think environmental management. We have to think things that are bigger than us, but that eventually will um, we'll solve this problem. I can't help think about 50 years ago when people started doing something about malaria control in Africa. Well, let's even give it 30 years. If the focus had been on environmental management, for example, on changing housing, on changing the way we, we do things, education. I, I think we'll have been far. I, don't, I can't say we would have eliminated malaria, but we certainly would have built the base to do it. There's a word that you've used before and also, um, and I don't, you know, I'd ref, I, would, I would recommend this to our listeners, this um, very powerful LinkedIn post um, that you put together, where you refer to kind of a dignity doing something for your dignity. And, you know, I just wondered if you could expand a bit on kind of what that means to you um, and how that might be, you know, different from how people are doing things in malaria control now or how malaria control is done now. Yeah, um, it's very tough to, to relate um, my concept of dignity with what's going on in the malaria control mm -hmm. sphere because it's, it's a little bit of a an oxymoron to put those two things together. Uh, uh, they, they, um, I think one negates the other. But um, I, I perhaps explain this better in my world um, with um, one image. It's, it's sad that on, on a podcast we can't show images. Uh, for now, people can do it on YouTube. But there's a, a friend of mine in, in Tanzania She's a social scientist and, and she was presenting at one conference in the US on, um, on a particular NGO that came to Africa to, um, to, to help as usual. Um, and they were building uh, latrines or toilets for, for people who didn't have uh, toilets. So this was part of the WASH program, the uh, water hygiene, um, sanitation hygiene program. And she shows this picture where um, this, this particular NGO came next to uh, a shark. I don't know if you can call it a house. It's, a, it's thatch from top down. And then next to it, they're building this toilet. It's, it's cement. Um, it's, um, it's really a very nice um, toilet. It has uh, iron roof um, as a ceiling and, and, and has a, a nice door. And, and I, I looked at this picture and I paused and I, and I asked her, so which one is the house and which one is the toilet? Um, so the house is the one with, with thatch roof and with, with grass basically because this NGO's program was to build a latrine and they came and built a latrine for this particular person. And, I, and I, I couldn't help but imagine this particular woman living in this house, going out of her house, going to the latrine. A latrine that for her probably looks like, a, I don't know, a, the best house ever that she's ever seen. And this is a, a latrine. And I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, this particular person who came and built this, what were they thinking? Like, what um, do they think about the person, or do they think about 
just what they're doing. Ticker box have built 10,000 latrines in this particular country. And that's where dignity for me comes from. Um, unless we put the human being at the center of whatever we're doing, the rest is just, um, uh, it's self-praise, it's thinking that you've done something well, um, but it's it's not reaching what it needs to reach. Um, if you if you see those people uh, in the rice fields, as I did uh, in the Gambia, and you're driving around and you you just splashing mud at them at the speed of the Land Rover, and they are trying to make ends meet, that's that's where I question what what is your sense of dignity if you're looking at this person and and the next day you would go and talk about how you're controlling the mosquitoes and all that. Um, they don't have something to eat um, so that they can be bitten by that mosquito. So there's there's a lot that is going on. Um, it's not just in the malaria, malaria world, it's, it's the way I think the, the world runs, uh, where we, we lose sight to the most essential things. We 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 run through life quickly, we don't pause to think this is a human soul that has all the dignity of a human being that needs to be protected. Doesn't matter where they are born, color of skin, sex, or even intelligence. If we all could think of a human being as a, as a human soul, like we all are, I think we'd get better. Um, even solutions probably would come from, from that particular thing because I would then come to you if you're the one in, in, in problems and I'll ask you, what, what do you need? How can I help? Mm. I wouldn't come with a, a Land Rover and tell you this is how I help you. I would, I would ask you what you need, and then, and then I would consider your thinking as as valid and as as worthy considering, and then we build together a solution. Mm. That's not what's happening. That's not what's happening in malaria. That's not what's happening in most things. But it can be done. Mm. Uh, so. Um... So that's so intense. <laughs> that's so true. Sorry. No, nope. get that out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, I guess the one final point, and then you should tell me if there's any things that I, you know, should pick up on is, you know, if we wanted to end in a kind of hopeful place, if there is a kind of any kind of concrete, and you, I mean, you have mentioned a few in terms of kind of partnerships and new ideas, but you know, something that that you do see that gives you a sense that, that that dignity might be in the offing at some point, right? That there's, that there is, there is, um, you know, and again, you, you're a man of faith and you have great faith that this is what is coming. But if there's any um, thing that you see already, yeah. that really gives you, um, yeah, it gives you hope. Yeah. So the, the, there's several things that give me hope. Um, People give me hope. Uh, friends give me hope. I, I have you. I have um, a number of friends that are really coming from different geographies and think differently and have seen different things. And then we occasionally we get together, we discuss, and 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 my hope comes back. And I, and I'm like, okay, systems are corrupt, but not everyone is. Um, there's a lot of people who are willing to do something good. Um, for the humanity, for the dignity of humans. But they don't always have that power. But the, the small things that uh, a small amount uh, of people or effort can achieve is amazing if you have the right, right heart in the right place. So that really keeps me 
hoping that um, the tyranny is not everywhere and, and the, 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 the evil that we see tends to obstruct everything good that is happening. Uh, I've recently been listening to someone talking about how the world is, is really moving positively in the positive direction, how many people have been lifted out of poverty, how, um, how, how many countries now have electricity, have running water. Have, so things are not necessarily going backwards everywhere. Um, mm. All, all I'm, I'm saying, and the, the only reason I keep um saying this aloud is we can do more than we're doing today um, is if everyone of us is less selfish less self-centered and less self-focused um and much more willing to learn to to um, allow others to voice their concerns to participate together in building a society that is fair, um, we can do more. And, and um, so my hope is in people, in friends that I've seen and, and even people that I don't know who are trying to do the best they can. Um, we, I mean, we were together in, in Rwanda. Um, you saw um, that particular country that came out of ashes uh, 30 years ago, almost. I mean, it was a finished country completely uh, with the genocide against the Tutsis that happened there. But today it's a country that is running, it's standing and people are smiling and nice nice things to see. So the, the human spirit is, is strong and resilient. Um, we, we just have to, to keep talking to each other, keep correcting course and, and, and try to do um, as best as we can. In, in the malaria field in particular, the only, the only thing that bothers me more is the, the egos about what people think and, and what people think are solutions. I probably I'm, I'm guilty of that too. But there's less, there's less room for, for opening up to, to something different. Um, people have made their minds about this is what's going to work and, and and that's not how we should run it. I mean, we should just be open to, to trying other things that have not been tried before in Africa. Um, just be open to, to and, and leave the dogmas of, oh, this doesn't work. No, this wouldn't work in Africa. This, there's a lot that can be tried and that can be done. And, and I have hope that sometime people, at some point people will listen and, and we want to do the right thing. Well, you know, I... I imagine that, you know, doing kind of curating and arranging a kind of space of conversation like this one is, you know, hopefully will be part of that kind of engine for hope and, you know, getting people talking, even when it feels uncomfortable, um, just seems like such an important service. And precisely. So, so this is, this is really um, and it's it's good that you you um, getting in that in that direction because that's that's where I wanted to end. So the the um, the reason I'm doing this podcast is really to have these conversations. To I've said a lot of things. Some of them are foolish. Some of them are are worth listening to. Um, but I'd love people to challenge me to to discuss and and um, I challenge them back. And then hopefully we we find good ideas that we can implement together. So it's it's really giving space to, to people to come and discuss. I'll be uh, deliberately um, fair in terms of representation. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, <laughs> I want to give uh, my 
fellow Africans a voice um, to, to say what they think, particularly in this area of, of malaria control and what they are trying to do. There's a lot of people who are doing amazing, amazing things in Africa who don't manage to publish uh, for some reason, who don't manage to get to conferences because you, you have to reach some network to be able to do that. Um, but who are doing amazing, and, and I want to be able to give them a voice and, and um, to let them express themselves. Some of them will speak in French, some of them will speak in Swahili or other languages. But if we can let everyone have a platform and, and say what they think, maybe we'll get uh, somewhere. So that's one of the purpose of the, this podcast and I hope anyone who's listening who's interested to speak to me, please just reach out. And, you know, anyone who agrees will get a personal crate of green mangoes for me. Oh, green mangoes, <laughs> yes. From, from Man Kelly. But you will have to travel to the Gambia to get the best. Thank you for listening to this conversation with Prof. Ann Kelly. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to be notified of when the next episode is published, please follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Google Podcast, the Podbean app, or Amazon Music. Until next time, love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly.